why I sought this, um, why don't you turn to the person who's next to you or the person you prefer and ask, when you're in the lion's den, what do you do? When you're in the lion's den, what do you do? Go. That's great. What I love about asking that question is it's great fun watching uh, you as very good Christians talk to both people left and right just to make sure that they know that you like both of them equally. Um, So we're coming to the concluding uh, message in this series we've been looking at, Daring to Stand, where we've been looking at the first six chapters of Daniel. And Daniel's split into two sections. The first section is this narrative of this man, Daniel, and what he's experienced in exile in a foreign land. And after that are all these prophecies. Um, If you were to read through them at night, they might be a bit freaky. They're quite strange as you go through. Um, A lot of incredible stuff in there, but but needs detailed interpretation. We felt, uh, having lots of guest preachers here at Mutley, it was a bit unfair for us to give them some of these particular chapters. Um, So we're just exploring the the, the narrative section of this book. But I can uh, show you towards certain Bible studies if you'd like to do them. I would recommend taking some real time over them rather than just reading them at face value and exploring what's to be said. So Daniel chapter 6, if you have your Bibles with you. And we're looking at this final story of Daniel in the narrative section. Probably a story you've heard many times at Sunday school uh, or know very well. So from verse 1, I'm reading the whole thing. So it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home and uh, went to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three days, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, but as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, 
Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the men went to a group to King Darius, went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and he brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. How cool is that story? Not just reliving kind of teachings in church when we're kids, but as adults, how amazing in that story, those words that that King Darius sends out to the peoples, that we worship a God who rescues and saves, who does wonders amongst us, miracles and signs that we couldn't imagine, that even in the most difficult of predicaments, he would rescue us. So that question I asked a minute ago, I would encourage you to keep reflecting on that as we go throughout this message. When you're in the lion's den, what do you do? And by lions, then, I'm not talking about a situation that if you play your cards right, you can get out of. A situation that um, if you manage your time well and see the right person, there's possibly a way out. I'm talking about the impossible situation. I'm talking about the situation where it feels like you are surrounded by lions and you're in a closed pit with no way out. The only person who can save you, the only person who can rescue you, the only person whom you can put your trust is God. What is that situation for you? And when you're in that situation, do you trust God? What do you do? So I want to explore this story uh, with you. Because again, it's one of those stories that we we know it 
maybe in its basic form, we know it's a cool story, Daniel was thrown in a possible situation, God rescued him, but some of the other details that make the story what it is are kind of lost because that's the basic that we know. So you're giving me a kind of vain facial expression. You're right, I get to see you as you drift off, so I can see your eyes going somewhere else. (laughs) So you up for this? Yes, amazing, some enthusiasm. I will look at those of you that actually looked enthusiastic. So the story starts then with this king of Persia, King Darius. He's recently killed King Belshazzar, who is the king of the Babylonians, and has now uh, changed management in this empire. It's no longer Babylonian, but Persian. And with this change of management, with this change of boss, he's looking to form his new leadership team. How is he going to structure this leadership team in order to govern his vastly growing empire? What structure is he going to go for? So he picks... Um, in his new team, 12 satraps, who essentially are governors over a specific province in Asia. They're given a bit of land, like um, nobles would have been, but on a bigger scale in the UK years and years ago, given a a section of land that they're to to govern and rule. And then he places three chief ministers, three overseers, who will report back to him, be in conversation with him, and ultimately make the things he said applicable to the 12 satraps who will then make them applicable to the people they're governing. Makes sense, that kind of, we, we know it in business and in many different structures, that kind of hierarchical system. But what's very interesting is that Daniel is made one of these chief ministers. Can we pause and reflect on that for a moment? Daniel was, is an exile from another land, from Judah. He's not particularly liked as a, as a foreigner in this land. He, wasn't, he, was, he was a well-off Jew, if you like, but, but not in a high standing initially when he first came to Babylon, and yet his faithfulness to God has proven so that he's climbed this ladder of success to the place in which he's in one of the three highest positions in a foreign land. How insane insane is that? But not only in, in a foreign land, but all of this success and this position happened in Babylon. The government, the whole um, empire is turned over to be Persian, and yet his reputation the way he's understood amongst the king is still seen in the eyes of King Darius to the point where he would put him in such a high position as he's in. How amazing is that? Even in new management, he would still be held up so highly, still govern such authority to the point where the king was hoping to raise him as a successor to take over the whole kingdom. And obviously, uh, the chief ministers aren't happy about this. Why? Why Daniel? Daniel's a foreigner, though. They're coming over here, stealing our jobs. Why is he getting that position? Why is he being placed in that top? This is ridiculous. So they try and look at a way to betray him. They find a plan of destruction. How can they get rid of Daniel? They know they can't do it with his conduct and the way he holds himself because he's faithful to God, because he lives well. He's a man of integrity. So they can't trap him there. It has to be the law of his God. They have to work out a way that the king can release some kind of edict that they know Daniel will break instinctively because of the God that he follows. So what do they do? No prayer for 30 days to any other God or human being other than King Darius. They know he's going to break this. It wasn't like Daniel's sitting in the, in the town center praying to God that he would rescue him. He's at home, which overlooks Jerusalem, a very poignant place to be looking, praying three times a day. It was his normal quiet time, if you like, praying to God for his rescue. They knew where he was. They knew what time he would be there. All they had to do is find the means in order to trap him 
in order to make sure that he was killed. The king released an edict. They come in there in their big group of hooligans. They grab Daniel and they throw him. Well, they get him thrown into the lion's den. And it's at this point that I want us to imagine um, the scene. Because again, for many of us, when we think about the lion's den, we maybe think more of, of this, right? Lions with big eyelashes, huge anime eyes, cute and cuddly, like a lovely kitten that you might have at home. But the reality is we're talking about lions, lions that have been malnourished, lions that have been trained to kill, a common practice in the day and age. Lions like that, right? Oh, I wouldn't want to be sitting next to that. Even if you trust in God, this is the kind of animal that you're facing. So imagine you're thrown into this lion's den. The first thing that that grabs you is the smell of, of rotten flesh from the past victims of these lions. It's tangible within the air. It feels like death. And as you look around this particular dungeon or this, this den, you realize there's no way out. The only way out is the way you came in, but that's had a great boulder placed over it. You're enclosed in darkness. The only other possible exit is above you where they feed the lions, but you need a rope at the very least to get out there. And I can imagine the lions aren't going to help you stand on their backs to get out of the hole. That's the way my brain works. That was an added piece of weirdness. So you look around and you think, this is the last place you will probably see. This is the last thing you'll see before you die. And at this point, for some reason, you've been distracted by the scene, which I'm painting, and you haven't noticed the lions that are sitting before you. Let me give you some facts about lions. Now, I've weighed these up on various websites, so they could or could not be of various truth. We'll see. They sound cool, though. So the first is that lions of general species can weigh up to about 250 kilograms. That's about 39 stone. I'm 11, roughly. That's almost four times my weight. Can you imagine? These are not little pussycats that sit in your lap at home. Lions, can, their roar can be heard up to five miles away. And in a close vicinity where they're looking straight at you, that would be terrifying. They eat up to 18 pounds of meat a day. That's the equivalent, apparently, to 70 hamburgers. 70 hamburgers. The issue for the environment. <laughs> They would have no problem comfortably eating one of us if we got thrown into their den. Um, If you're thinking, well, Daniel could escape behind a rock during the night, it's dark, they won't be able to see him. No, they can see six times better than human beings. The darkness plan has failed. Apparently, they kill up to 100 people a year. Not closely followed by hippopotamus, I, hippopotamuses, I'm not really sure, I, hippopotami, who kill up to 500 people a year. Fill the den with hippopotamus, and you've sorted the situation. You don't need lions. Their tongue is so rough that they use it uh, to literally tear the flesh off the prey that they're eating. If they were to lick a human hand twice, you would begin to have your flesh torn away. And their jaw opens up to one foot, which is bigger than any human head. These are the animals that Daniel is facing What an impossible situation. I have found myself in difficult situations, I'm sure you have, that you would call impossible. But when you're literally locked in a room with animals that could tear you apart in minutes, there doesn't seem to be a more impossible situation than that. 
And yet, against all odds, against all logic, against the natural way of things, he did not die because God rescued him. Isn't that an incredible story? And the way King Darius responds to that is so beautiful. And we'll look at that in a moment. Every single bit of logic says, every human bit of reason says, Daniel is in a den that's closed with killing lions. He should die, and he doesn't because God rescues and saves him. So that's that question. When you're in the lion's den, what do you do? If you forget everything I've said this morning, other than a few of those random lion facts, um, remember these three words, trust in God. For the whole six chapters of Daniel, that seems to be the theme. And you know, as I was, as I was prepping this message this week, I said in the nine o'clock service, I was always like, oh God, I've got to mix it up a little bit. This is a very similar message that we've had for the past month during this Daring to Stand series. It seems to be the same message, whether it's implied or said overtly, the theme throughout all the messages. If you look back and listen to the messages on, online, you'll see the general overarching theme is trusting in God because he is faithful. That seems to be throughout the whole narrative of Daniel. What is God trying to say to us throughout this series? And it's, this text, this story screams of this idea of trust. And I was talking to, to Lizzie earlier. Um, it's funny because we focus so much on Daniel in this story. But actually, don't worry, it's a good thing. Um, <laughs> you're looking terrified. Darius is a very interesting character in this particular story. Look at how he trusts God. Daniel 6, verse 16, when he realizes that he's been tricked by the satraps and chief ministers and that he has to have Daniel killed to maintain his integrity as a leader, he says to Daniel, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. Almost a prayer to Daniel, his friend, someone he loved and wanted to see him succeed him, may your God, who you continually serve, rescue you. He was hoping, could I even say he was trusting in God in some way, even if it was as small as a mustard seed, he was laying that foundation for trust and faith that God could save Daniel. Then Daniel 6, 18 to 20, it says, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. What if in that time of, of not eating, of not being able to sleep, of not being able to focus, what if he knew the stories of Daniel? He knew how God had saved him in the past. He saved his friends from the, the fiery furnace. What if, just what if, in that time of, of reflection, of anguish, he sent a prayer up to God? He spent a time praying, God, can you save this man? I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't get it. But I know that you can, if you will, save this man. Because then it says, at first light of dawn, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? That's not a prayer of a man that doesn't have some sense of trust and faith. Of course Daniel's dead. That is the logic. You've thrown him into a lion's den. You don't come to the den the following morning and say, are you alive? If you put someone in a fiery furnace, they die. If you put them in a lion's den, they die. It's not a potential that they might be alive. So why is he running to the, the, the lion's den the following morning asking if Daniel's alive? If not for the fact that there is something inside him that is going, do you know what, God, maybe you've done this. Maybe you have heard my prayer, our prayers. Maybe you've saved Daniel. If there's any character that stands out in this story, it's Darius for me. That trust, even as small as a mustard seed, even as, as cased in doubt that it may be, 
He dared to believe that God could rescue Daniel from this situation. And then Daniel's trust, Daniel 6, 23. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The reason I think I'm drawn to King Darius is I kind of like anti-heroes. Daniel, you kind of go, yeah, standard. I mean, of course he's going to be faithful. That's what he's done throughout. He has been consistently faithful and prayed. But there's something about King Darius not being the character you'd normally look at, but yet still demonstrating trust in God. God was faithful because they trusted in him. So watch your lions then. Do you trust God to deliver you from it? That's the question I want to ask you now. Watch your lions then. Do you trust God to deliver you from it? And it might not be physical in the sense that you're facing actual physical enemies. What if it's a mental battle? A place of anguish and mental health in which you feel you cannot escape and all hope is gone. Or an emotional battle, a spiritual battle. It could be many things, but you feel like you're in a den and there's lions raining upon you. What is your lion's den? I sat with coffee with a guy called uh, Jamie this week. He's sitting over there. And um, we had a great coffee uh, talking about what God has been doing um, in his life. And as Jamie told me his story, you can't help but get inspired by this man. He's been so changed by God. And I was sitting there bubbling up with excitement listening to his story. He, he talks about how he has struggled with um, alcohol abuse for, for many years. Um, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous in order to help him with this particular journey. At the bottom, he described of, 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 his, of his life. Um, almost, you could say, and Jamie didn't say it to me himself, but, but like being in a, a lion's den, you know, that constant cycle of addiction, being unable to escape the impossible situation. He goes to Alcoholics Anonymous and he's told about this higher power, this power beyond yourself as a human being. We can't rely on ourselves to get us out of these kind of addictive cycles. So what is that supernatural power that you cling to? And for Jamie, his exploration started in the church and he came to Mutley. And he began to see how this God had been directing him throughout this journey, whether he knew it or not, and it brought him to this place that he was able to give his life to Jesus. And his life has changed so much that his friends want to come to church just because they see the difference in him. He has that inspiring faith. You do, mate. You have that inspiring faith where he just reminds you of the God that we love and worship and what he can do in someone's life when he takes hold of us. And he said to me these words, and I'll never forget this, and I'm misquoting you awfully, mate, but he said, the high I get from God is better than any drug or drink. As we're sitting there getting excited about this Jesus and all he could do, because if there's anyone that can change our lives, if there's anyone that can get us out of the pit, it is Jesus. And it sounds like such a simple message to preach. It sounds like such an easy thing for me to say, uh, say and stand up here. Ross, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what my, my lion's den is. You don't know the situation I face on a daily basis. No, I don't. And it might just sound like it's, it's spiritual platitudes that I'm throwing out niceties to, to, to comfort a congregation. But I say it because I believe it. Because it is the message of the Bible that we hold is true, that I have sat with you and heard your stories of how God has rescued you from the pit, how he saved you from the pit, because this is the God that we worship. Not a God who, who, who just talks about salvation, but a God who gets stuck in when humanity was in a dragon's, uh, a dragon's den. <laughs> that is the wrong analogy. A lion's den. That when humanity was facing sin, evil, and death, what did God do? Sit outside of the den and let us get killed or taken over by these lions? No, he sent his one and only son into the pit to experience the suffering that we could experience and rescue and save us. In fact, he took our place. 
What an incredible God that we worship, that he would rescue us from the lion's den, that he would save us. An incredible God that we worship, that he would save Daniel all those years ago, that he would save humanity, and that he would save Jamie from his cycle of addiction. We worship a God who saves. Amen? Surely he can do it for you. Do you trust him? Do we trust him as a church? Do we really trust him that he can rescue us? Because there is no other. If Jesus is the center, then he must be the center. Can he rescue and save us? I want to finish with the words that, um, that King Darius uses, and it's actually the words that Paul used earlier in, in the worship from Daniel 6, 26 to 28. He says, For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And if we dare to believe, if we dare to trust, he can rescue you, he can rescue us, if we trust in him. Let's pray. Father, all of my being wants this not just to be words from the front, but truth that has action. So I'm clinging to you this morning and trusting you that for those of us who this is a very real message, that this lion's den is very, very real. We pray that as we leave this building this morning, it won't just be inspiration from here, but that throughout the week, when doubt begins to sink in and we lose all hope and faith in you, you will remind us of the good God that you are. You will remind us of those that you've done it for in the past. And in those moments of fear and doubt, we will trust in you, cling to you. Jesus, you are Lord. You have dominion in this place. You have dominion in our lives. as your people, as your family, individually and collectively, we trust you. Have your way. Amen.